Okay, somebody keeps man, word, I've never been that short. They keep messing with my pulpit. There it is. Let's try this again, shall we? Okay. You're gonna have to get used to this, Trevor. It happens all the time. Or maybe you don't use a pulpit. Maybe you're one of these guys that use your your iPad or just you don't even need notes. Huh? We'll find out next Sunday. I still need notes, and no, I don't. I have an iPad, but I never use it. So there it is. This is me. I was born in 1954. This is what people born in 1954 still use, is notes. And the closer it is to my face, the better off I am, by the way. There we go. That's also what happens when you're born in 1954. Here we are, guys. We are finishing up a series that we've been calling this. We've been calling Overcoming Our Broken Humanity, Replacing Six Deadly Emotions. Okay? What we're just saying is this. We know that our humanity is broken. We were originally created, created good. God created everything good. He created everything. Step back and said, man, it is good. That included us. But we weren't good on our own. Remember that. Nothing is good on its own. God, goodness comes from God, and it comes from a proper relationship with God. So as long as we stayed in that proper relationship with God, humanity was good, creation was good, but we broke that relationship through our own sin and rebellion. And when that relationship was broken, we lost that goodness from God. We were revealed for who we really are. We're created, but we're not created good. We don't have that within ourselves. We are broken now. And because of that, all, it, it tends to come out, our brokenness tends to come out in our emotions, and there are six deadly emotions that really get in the way. And because this is kind of a toe-stepping on series, we've been looking at this passage every single week before we go any further, because remember, while we're talking about the deadly emotion, how to overcome them, it doesn't mean that God condemns you. Now he does not. This is what the Word of God says right here. Read it with me. Not that, the next one. Let's see what happens. That's all right. There we go. I have no idea why it's small all of a sudden, but there it is. Uh, we have a background behind it. Did you, did you notice that? I don't know if you can get rid of that one, but um, if you can't, don't worry, we'll live with it. It's good. It's, it's still good. All right, here we go. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation now. Are you broken? Of course you're broken. Is there condemnation? No. God loves you. He cares about you. What we're talking about is learning to overcome these emotions that we have. All right? Now, this is not a self-help thing that says, you know, you just try really hard or chant a certain word over and over and over again. It's not that kind of thing. Because this is not about using your willpower. You don't have the willpower. I don't have the willpower to overcome these things. The key to overcoming my broken humanity is what? Fill power, not willpower. Okay? Fill power, not willpower. There we go. That's what it should look like right there. Okay? Willpower is not enough. You can't just will yourself. You can't just look at yourself and say, stop it. It doesn't work like that. We have to replace these emotions. Because even if you could tell yourself to stop being anxious or stop being angry, there's nothing to fill the void that you just created. You have to fill that void. You replace your emotion. That's, the way we're, that's what we're looking at. And this is what the scripture says here. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you do best by filling your mind and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things. Fill your mind. Overcoming our broken humanity is 
we replace these six deadly emotions. And we do that by filling ourselves with something else. Here's the emotions we've been looking at and what we replace them with. Anger, we replace with compassion. To get rid of the envy, we replace that with contentment. To get rid of bitterness, we replace that with forgiveness. To get rid of guilt, we replace it with grace. Last week, to get rid of shame, we replace it with identity and who we are in Jesus Christ. And then anxiety with trust. We've already looked at the first, the first five. And by the way, they're all on the podcast. If you want to go take a look at those, listen to them. That'd be fine. Today, we're going to finish up the series by learning how to replace our anxiety with trust. Now, we are all anxious from time to time. That happens. You know, get a little anxious. And maybe some of you are anxious coming in here. Some people are anxious all the time. In fact, some of you out there right now have what we call generalized anxiety disorder. What it means is you wake up anxious, you're anxious all day long, you're anxious at night. It's just who you are. Generalized anxiety disorder. Now, there are lots and lots of platitudes that we use for people like that to try to get them to overcome it, kind of like bumper sticker things. For instance, here's one right here. Worry is a down payment on a problem you may never have. Isn't that great? It's good. Does it, did it help you? Did, are you no longer anxious because you read that? Probably not. How about this one? I like this one. It's too big for a bumper sticker, but it's not bad. Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once. It's moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Now that's good. I wish that would fit on a bumper sticker because that's good to remember. Are you still going to be anxious? Yeah, you will because this didn't really help. Here's my favorite. Anxiety is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you very far. Yeah. Okay. The Bible puts it like this. Ready? An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. The Bible knows what anxiety does to us. Jesus knew what anxiety and worry does to us. He even told us one time that worrying won't add a single hour to your life. According to modern research, we now not only will worrying and anxiety not add an hour, it takes hours away. We actually live shorter lives and have health problems because of our anxiety and our worry. So what's the solution? Well, what's the solution when somebody says to when you when you're anxious, someone comes up to you and says, What? Don't worry. Didn't that help? Aren't you so glad they told you that? Did it really help? Take a look at this. Telling someone with anxiety to just calm down is like telling someone with epilepsy to just not have a seizure. It doesn't work. You can't use willpower to overcome these things. Yet every now and then, sometimes the, the Word of God almost seems to come across just like this because people use it this way. Either we look to the Word and we use it this way, or one of your well-meaning friends uses it this way. They look at you and they say this, cast your cares on the Lord and He will sustain you. Which is the same thing as saying, don't worry, be happy. But it doesn't work. Fortunately, there's more to it. Fortunately, before we're done here today, I'm going to show you what the Word of God says about how we replace our anxiety. You can't just say, stop it. It won't work. But before we do that, I want to talk to you just a little bit about the difference between 
fear and anxiety because quite honestly they're not the same thing when we're all down hopefully this might help you a little bit to understand the difference between fear and whether you're really afraid or whether you're anxious because you actually deal with these two things very differently we'll show you that in just a moment let me show you if I, if I can tell you the difference okay here you are you are Beautiful day, you're walking down the street, whistling, you have no cares, you come up to this intersection, and you have the green light, there it is, and you're in a crosswalk, but as soon as you step into the crosswalk, suddenly you hear a horn blare, and you look up, and off to your right-hand side, here comes a car who's running the red light, honking, coming right at you. This is what happens. Suddenly, your body is filled with adrenaline, just like that. Your little body has a gland that just produces and begins to pump adrenaline just like that. It's incredible. And when that happens, also all of the blood vessels in your, in your extremities, they begin to constrict because they want to save all the blood for the internal organs and for the muscles because you're getting ready to do something. So suddenly your hands get cold and clammy. Your digestion stops just like that because why would you waste any time digesting food? You need to do something right now. So suddenly you get this cold pit in the middle of your stomach. Your heart begins to race a mile a minute because your heart is trying to pump blood to all of the muscles that you're going to need to get rid of this thing and to, to handle this fear, to handle this danger. We call that fear. When you see that car coming, you are afraid. And you're afraid because it's real. There is an actual car coming at you. Put it simply, here it is. Fear is a statement what it is you can see it there's the car it's coming right at you you have fear and you should have fear fear is a good thing because it's the fear that's going to make you get out of the way that's fear next day going down the same street beautiful day you get close to the corner you remember what happened yesterday and this is what happens. That little gland in your body begins to pump adrenaline. All of the vessels in your extremities begin to constrict, pushing blood to the muscles where it's going to be needed, and your hands get cold and clammy. Your digestive stops just like that because you don't need to digest. You get this cold pit in the middle of your stomach. Your heart begins to race and race and race. Exactly the same symptoms you had yesterday except what? There's no car. That's anxiety. See, if fear is a statement, what it is, anxiety is a question. What if? What if there is a car? What if the same thing happens to me today? The crazy thing is, you have exactly the same symptoms your body doesn't know any difference between an actual car or a perceived car. You have exactly the same symptoms whether there's a car there or not. Now the reason these are important is because you deal with them very differently. You know how do you deal with fear? You remove fear with action. You see a car coming at you, what do you do? You jump out of the way, Nimrod. What else would you do? Get out of the way. You jump and be, by the way, that's what your whole body's been trying to get you to do. That's why all of the blood in your, in your body is going to your muscles and your heart is racing because it's designing you right now with your adrenaline to jump out of the way. 
If you're walking down this path in the jungle and suddenly a tiger jumps out, your whole body begins to say, let me get you ready to run away. And you run. It is a God-given reaction to prepare you for action to get rid of the fear and the danger. Problem is, if nothing's there, there's nothing to run from. There's no car to jump away from. There's no tiger to jump from. There's nothing to do. There is no action you can take. What happens then is the adrenaline builds up within you. The adrenaline was building up before you in fear because you wanted to do something. You did it, and when it was all done, you had the shakes because your adrenaline is going down. And, but it prepared you to run away. You can't run away because there's nothing to run away from. And the adrenaline begins to build up and build up and build up. And when it builds up to a certain point, we call it what? You are having a panic attack. Some of you are having a panic attack right now, aren't you? <laughs> I know that. I have suffered through panic attacks. And for people particularly who have generalized anxiety disorder, they can come on at any moment. And you don't even know why. You don't even know why suddenly your heart begins to race. <laughs> your, whole, your, your hands get clammy. Your, your, your stomach gets this pit within there. You get nervous and jittery. It's because your body is building up adrenaline to run away from the danger. But here it is. There's no danger. There's nothing to run away from. That's a panic attack. By the way, one of the best ways to deal with a panic attack, if you're having one, and I've had them in the past, and I had to learn that if I was in the middle of one, there was really nothing to be afraid of. I couldn't figure out why I had this anxiety going on. Exercise, I did something, jumping jacks, I went out and worked out, do something, just because you, you have this adrenaline that's getting your body ready to do something, well, go ahead and work it out if you can. But you really can't get rid of anxiety with action. What you do is you don't get rid of it with action, you replace anxiety with what? Trust. And that's what we're going to learn to do. Replace your anxiety I am not so naive as to believe that in just a few moments you're all going to walk out of here calm, cool, collected, and you will never have a panic attack. Okay? I'm going to tell you how we can do it, but it's going to take us a while to learn to do it. Ready? Here we go. That's what the rest of this time is all about, learning to replace anxiety with trust in God. Here we go. First of all, we need to focus on what is really important. If you're in the middle of a panic attack, if you have generalized anxiety, if you're feeling anxious, and you know if you're feeling anxious because there is really nothing there to be afraid of. There is no tiger, there is no car, there's nothing there. You're asking the question, what if? Not what it is, what if? What if I can't pay my bills? What if I get sick? What if this happens? If that's where you are, that's anxiety. First of all, you have to focus on what is really important, okay? What if the worst really did happen? What if uh, that thing that you're really afraid of actually occurred? It would be terrible. But would you really lose what's actually important? It would be uncomfortable. It might even be painful. It would be very sad. But would you actually lose what is ultimately and most important in your life, if this is really what's most important in your life. Take a look at this passage. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? Do you understand what he just said? Look, 
bad things can happen. What if I get sick? What if my family falls apart? What if I get fired? What if I can't find a job? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? What if there is a car at the corner when I get there? What if these things, those bad things happen? Is that really going to take away what's important? Human beings and mortal mortality and these things, they really can't take away what's ultimately important because what's important to me is God. And if the worst thing happens in my life, God is still there. That's why Jesus told us this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Look, because he's just finished a whole passage about worrying. You know, you're worried about what you eat, you're worried about what you wear. And then he says, well, just wait a minute. <laughs> Why didn't you focus on what's really important? God's kingdom and his righteousness. The, the little things you're worried about, don't worry about it. They'll, they'll be taken care of. It's going to happen. It's going to be all right. Even if the absolute worst thing happened to you, and I hope it doesn't, and I know it would be sad and terrible, ultimately the thing that's most important to you you can't lose. That's why Jesus said, therefore, based on what I just told you, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will, will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. There it is. When you're worrying, particularly, what if tomorrow this happens? What if next week this happens? What if? Jesus said, you know, what I really want you to focus in on is just God and his righteousness. Things are going to happen. Bad things will happen to you. Bad things will happen. But God will be there. Good things will happen. God will be there. If the worst thing happens, God will be there. If the doctors say your grandson won't live more than just a few hours, terrible. God will be there. And one day, because of Jesus Christ, there will be a reunion you can't even fathom. And as you go through the grief, God will be there. I hope these bad things don't happen. But even if they do, you won't lose what's really important. The second thing that we need to do to be able to replace this, this anxiety we have with the trust that we need in God is to do this. We need to learn from experience. I want each one of us to become students of history. Now, I happen to love history. Many of you know that. I don't know why I love history. It just is who I am. I can tell you the kings and queens of England in order from 1066 to the present day. Don't ask me why. I can't remember some of your names, but I can tell you the names of the kings. I don't know why I'm interested in this stuff, but I am. What's interesting about that of being a student of history is you learn some things. I'm going to give you a little bit of, uh, it's not here on, on, the, uh, on the slide, so you get to write it down if you want to, but this is, this is so important, particularly if you ever have to hire anybody, if you have to trust somebody. Here it is. Ready? The best indicator of future performance is past behavior. I'm going to repeat that for you because this is huge. This is huge. Ready? I'm going to tell you one more time. The best indicator of future performance is past behavior. In other words, I can tell you what you're going to do by what you have done. If you're hiring somebody, what you want to do is find out what they've done in the past because that's probably what they're going to do for you. Have they been faithful? Have they worked hard in other jobs? And they'll probably be faithful and work hard for you. Have they been a flake wherever they've gone? Guess what? Probably be a flake for you too. Because the best indicator of future performance is past behavior. 
Let's talk about the past behavior of God for a moment, shall we? What do you think he's going to do for you in the future? Well, let's kind of look at what he's done for us in the past. We use that with the experience of others. Study the experience of others. You'll find it all in the Bible. God has been working with humanity for thousands of years. Read the stories. Take a look at this passage. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside the false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. In other words, the writer of the psalm looks back and says, look at all the incredible things God has done over all of the thousands of years. Wow, I couldn't even tell you about them. And the best indicator of future performance is what? Past behavior. I can tell you what God is going to do in your life, but what he already has done. I know that for some of you, reading the Bible is, is maybe a boring exercise, or maybe you don't read the Old Testament because this is the New Testament times. I think you're missing some things. Get in the Word and read all the old stories. If some of the theological stuff, and there may be some things, I don't know if, if Leviticus is going to be that uplifting to you, and Ecclesiastes can be a real downer. And Jeremiah, the, uh, the weeping prophet, he cries a lot, and the lamentations probably shouldn't be read if you're depressed. But all throughout the Old Testament, Genesis, particularly the historical books, Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, take a look at what God did. In people's lives. Show me a time when God let somebody down. Not once. And the best indicator of future performance is past behavior. I can tell you what God's going to do for you based on what he already has done. Learn what he has done. Read the Bible. Read those stories. Read those Old Testament stories. The saints of old. They were terrible people. They were sinners. God never abandoned them. And he'll be there for you too. But also you have to learn from this, from the experience of your own past. Your own past, your own past experiences. Look back on your life and tell me a time when God let you down. Now, you can probably point to a time when God didn't do for you what you wanted him to do, but that's not the same thing, okay? Has God ever really let you down? Look at this. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. We even used to have a hymn based on this one. Do you remember? He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. He puts a song in my soul today, a song of praise. And the next word is? Hallelujah. See, you know that song. That's what God does. I can look back over my life, even my own stupidity, even my own sin. God has never let me down. So why am I worried about it tomorrow? Did God change? Anytime I'm, I'm faced with that anxiety of what if, what if, what if, I need to go back and say, okay, but... He's already been faithful. He will be faithful. I don't know how he's going to solve it, but he's going to solve it. 
And I'm going to do this. I'm going to build my foundation of my life on God's character. You see, it isn't just about what I've done or what I've gone through. It's based on who he is. The best indicator of future performance is past behavior. And God's past behavior isn't based upon his choices. It's based upon his character. This is who he is. God says, be strong, take courage, don't be intimidated, don't give them a second thought because God, your God, is striding ahead of you. He's right there with you. He won't let you down. He won't leave you. We even sing a song today about the God who is before you and behind you. The God of angel armies is always where? By my side. And I can trust him, not because of just the things that he has done. I can trust him because of the things he did is because of who he is. It's his character to be there for me. Not his choice. His character. He couldn't not be there for me. I have a choice. I could be there for you. I could not be there for you. Even though I want to think I'm a man of high character, I still know I have a choice. You understand God doesn't? Can God choose to lie? Can't be done. Word of God says it's impossible. His character won't allow it. Can God let you down? Does, does he choose? That, oh, I've been helping this guy time and time. Do I want to do it one more time? I guess I will. No. He can't not help you. It's his character. It's who he is. But there's one final thing, and this is huge. As we're replacing the anxiety that we have with, with the trust that we're trying to build in God, we do all the things that we just talked about. We remember what's really important. We remember the past. We learn from that. We remember that it's all based on God. But this is really huge for those of us, perhaps, who are anxious from time to time. Ready? Here it is. Don't write your story too soon. That's why some of you are really anxious. You're writing the end of your story. And it's way too soon. It's amazing how... Uh, if you take a look at your life at various points in your life, the different kind of story you might write. We have a tendency to write our story based on what we're seeing right now, you know, what we're going through. And, and uh, <laughs> we forget that the story's still being written. I don't really know what the end is going to be. Have you ever read the, a book that that's brings you to anxiety right in the middle of the book and, and you stop reading the book and you're left with what? Anxiety. But finish the book. See what happens. See where it all goes. Let's do a practice. Let's, let's see if we can work this one out here, okay? Let's write the story of Joseph, shall we? We're going to write his story based on the events that he had. What story would Joseph write at various points in his life? Ready? Here we go. I will tell you, first of all, Joseph born into the family. Aaron, he's, he's loved by his father, and here it is. He gets a, count, a coat of many colors. Now, tell me, what kind of story is Joseph going to write? What is he going to say about his life? This is what? This is good. What a life I've got. A coat of many colors. I'm beloved by my father. I've got no problems. Suddenly, next chapter, he's ambushed by his brothers. Now what story would, David, would Joseph write right there? If he were to write his story, what would he say? Woe is me. Oh, that's terrible. It would be bad. Oh, what's going to happen to me? It's just horrible. It's just horrible. Then what happens? He's sold into slavery. What happens then? Worse, 
Oh, what's going on? Oh, tomorrow's going to be horrible. My life is terrible. Everything is horrible. What? Oh, no, no, no. Anxious fear. Hands concerned. Hearts racing. Oh, no, no. He uh, winds up the head of the household for Potiphar. You know what? He writes a story, and his story is pretty good. He's in charge of everything. It's a nice place to live. He's still a slave, but at least he's doing really well. But then what happens? He's accused of rape. Now what does he write? That, okay. He didn't do anything wrong. What's going to happen to me? What, what, what's going to happen? I, I don't understand what's going to happen. Because he's accused by, because Potiphar's wife had the hots for Joseph. And Joseph wouldn't give in. And she lied and accused him of rape. And what happened to him? He got thrown into prison. Was he exonerated? No, he got thrown into prison. In the middle of that rape hole, what if he said, okay, don't worry, because God's on my side. I won't be, I'll, I'll be found innocent. What if I, oh, he went to prison, which is worse. Now his life is even worse. Oh, what's going to happen to me? God isn't there. He's given up on oh, It's terrible. While he's there, he gets to know uh, a couple of guys, a couple of servants from Potiphar's house, and uh, he interprets dreams for them. And suddenly Joseph is kind of an important man even in prison. And this is pretty good. Because what he now knows is when these people are released, one of them gets released, one of them really doesn't. That's all in the dream. But we won't go into details. You can read about it in Genesis, last several chapters. He interprets this dream and one of them gets out and he says, oh, man, this guy's going to get me out of here. Whew. Guess what happens? He's forgotten. You know how long he was in prison after that? Two years. This guy that he... He interpreted a dream, went into poverty, and forgot all about him for two years. For two more years, Joseph is in prison. What's his life now? Really bad. What if God's forgotten me? The worst thing that could possibly happen. Here I am. I'm stuck in prison. How am I ever going to get out of here? After two years, however, the, uh, the servant who'd been released... Uh, Potter, I mean, uh, Pharaoh has a dream, and, and this servant goes, oh, wait a minute, I remember this guy in prison. He interprets a dream, and so suddenly they go get Joseph. And now Joseph interprets a dream for Pharaoh, and this is good. Yeah, all right. Suddenly I'm in Pharaoh's household. This is great. And when this happens, guess what happens? Next thing you know, he's made, what, second in command of all Egypt, and this is great. Yeah, how about that? And then by the whole end of the story, he's completely reconciled with his family. The same ones who sold him into slavery, he's now reconciled with, he gets to see his father again, and that is fantastic. Where do you want to write a story? Choose any one of those places, and the story will be different. What story are you writing right now? What is your story? Things are going really, really well? Maybe they're going really, really well, but you're still in the what if. Okay, they're going well really now, but, but what if tomorrow? What if this? What if that? What if this? What if that? And you write your story based on that. You're writing your story too soon. I don't know what God's going to do in your life tomorrow, but this I know. He, won't, he will not forsake you. He will not give up on you. He will be there. The best indicator of future, of future behavior is past performance. I know what he's going to do based on what he already has done. Don't write your story 
And if you do write your story, make sure that you understand it's just the next chapter. The end of the book, I can tell you what the end of the book is. I already know the end of the book. You're going to die. Jesus will be meeting right there with you. He will tap you on the shoulder and he will say to you, your room is ready. I've been working on your room for thousands of years. Wait till you see it. And it's time to leave all that struggle behind. Come on home. That's the end of the book. And we call it fantastic. My father can take his time on writing the end of my book because I'm not done with this world yet. I enjoy it. I like living here. But I know that's the end of my story. In between now and then, I've got lots of chapters to write. Some of those chapters will be wonderful. Some of those chapters, I think, will fall into place. Some of those chapters will feel great. Some of those chapters, I will be put in a situation where I really don't know what God is going to do next. Or how he's going to get me out of this one. I don't know. But this is what I do know. He will get me out of this one. Because that's what he's always done. And the best indicator of future performance is past behavior. And God is who he is. He cannot not help me. And even if the absolute worst thing happened to me, I cannot lose what is ultimately important. Lots of chapters to write, but the story's not done. That's why scripture says this. However, it is written, read it with me. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. You couldn't even begin to imagine everything that God is going to be doing in your life. Some of it you may not enjoy. But God's in the business of turning you into a better person and sometimes that hurts. Some of it you won't enjoy because, quite frankly, you messed up. But even then, guess what? God will be there. What if the absolute worst happens? Right now, some of you are really worried about what's going to happen this week. I have no idea what's going on in your life. Some of you came into this place today with anxiety because of what might happen this week or the week. What if the absolute worst thing happens? I hope it doesn't. And, and I pray that God is going to be able to find some way to, to take that and to change it. But the point is it's ha it hasn't happened yet anyway. Even if it does happen, guess what? I know what God's going to do. God's going to be there for you. God is going to help you every single time. And I know that because that's what he's always done for thousands of years. And you are not so special that God is going to make an exception. You're just like all the rest of us. And God is who he is. We can trust him. Now, does this mean we're going to walk out here and not have any worries or anxiety? No, I know you too well for that. I know me too well for that. But the next time you're in that anxious spot, the next time you're really worried, the next time you're living in the what ifs, the what it is, that's fear. 
Get out of the way of the car. If it's a what it is, just jump. Just do something. Get out. Whatever you're afraid of, whatever's coming at you, action. Get rid of it. But anxiety is reality. Anxiety is what if. The next time you're in that what if, what if, what if, you get caught in that loop. What if? Well, what if the worst happens? God will be there. What if the worst happens? I can't lose what's ultimately important. God will always help me because that's who he is. But it's still not the end of the story. God will make a way. He always does. And then one day, it's all done. And my story's finally written. And I know what happens next. It will be fantastic. Father, thank you. Now, you know us. We know ourselves. We're not so foolish as to think that all of our anxiety just disappeared, even though your scripture tells us to be anxious for nothing but in everything to right, give prayer and supplication to give thanks to you. Father, you know us. We, we have to learn how to do this. And we will be caught in that trap of anxiety, the what is, the what is, the what is. But Father, remind us when that happens. We can't lose what's ultimately important, Father. And you will always be there. Always be there. You've been there through our past and through the path of history, Father. We can see that within your word. It's who you are. It's not even a choice you have to make. And Father, we know there's so much more of our story to be written. Some chapters will be uh, uncomfortable. But the end's already written. And it's fantastic. And we thank you for that in the name of Jesus.